Well, good morning. I'm a little bit better than that. Good morning. There we go. It's good to say I can see you now. Hey, Daniel. Living the dream, bro. Hey, if you have your Bibles, go to uh, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 5. John, uh, John, chapter 5. Uh, we will hang out there briefly this morning. Uh, we'll go ahead and give you a heads up. We will cover from Genesis to Revelation this morning. I just want to go ahead and tell you that. That's a true story. I'm not lying. Uh, but uh, anyway, as you're flipping to John 5, I do want to make mention. Uh, I know Ryan mentioned it, but I just want to kind of drive it home. Uh, next Sunday, August the 15th, Vision Night. Uh, for anybody who currently serves uh, in, in any capacity, uh, to anybody who delights or wants to serve here at Cross Point in any capacity. So small group, host home. If you, we have a grass cutting team. If you want to get on that team, we can put you there. Uh, if you got a tractor, we can put it to work. Uh, we may not, I mean, you don't have to, but we can at least have your tractor. Uh, uh, but anyway, uh, to working in the kids and things like that. And so if you're interested in that at all, uh, if you haven't felt led, this is the Holy Spirit speaking through me right now, uh, telling you that you're being called to serve. Uh, anyway, uh, and so next uh, Sunday, it's important for you to be here, uh, 5 to 6.30. Uh, child care will be provided. We will eat. Uh, our plans now is to still eat, uh, see what COVID lets us do. But right now, we are planning to eat uh, and things like that. Speaking of COVID, uh, we obviously, nobody, if you it's everywhere. Uh, and so uh, we're not just by us, because we haven't said the word COVID doesn't mean we're not aware that COVID is going on and thinking about it and things like that and how to pastor the church through it. And so we kind of got like different tiers of like code green, code yellow, code orange, code red. Anyway, uh, we're nowhere near red yet for us. But anyway, so uh, all I do want to say, if you feel like, if you feel like you need to wear a mask, wear a mask. Uh, we do have hand sanitation stations all throughout the building over there too. Uh, and so let's just do our part the best we can. Uh, and so anyway, uh, let's see. Uh, Vision night, COVID, uh, let's get going. So this morning, uh, we are starting a new series that will uh, take us through the next six weeks till uh, September the 12th, uh, whenever we kind of launch everything for our fall semester, the things that we've been talking about and praying through. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, we talked about being a gospel-driven church, what that looks like, and what it looks like on our Sunday mornings, and now we're finally getting into phase two of that, where that looks like as far as our church life goes. And so that's what this Sunday, uh, the 15th, is about, but also this direction that we're headed in this new series. Uh, we're calling it Scent. Uh, Scent, uh, S-E-N-T. Uh, not C-E-N-T, but if you have some... We'll take that as well. Uh, but uh, scent is in, and I hope as you see throughout this series uh, that, that what, where it's coming from. Uh, in, in John chapter 5, uh, John chapter 5, uh, we have a pretty cool story that a lot of us have heard. It's the story of the healing at the pool of Bethesda. Uh, and so there, there was a common place that actually in chapter 5, it's not coming up on the screen, but you can see this. There's, there was a, a place there that many, what the scripture calls is invalid. So blind, lame, paralyzed. And there was a man there that had been there for 38 years. And on this day was also the Sabbath. And Jesus heals this man. And because of him working on the Sabbath, uh, the religious leaders, you know, obviously try to call controversy and things like that. And they asked the man who had healed him, but the guy didn't know because Jesus healed him and knew what was going on. So he kind of dismissed himself out of there. And so they couldn't find him. And then later that Jesus comes and talks to the man again. Uh, and let's look at this verse 14. So after all that was going on, 
Uh, it says that afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And check out verse 16. This is really cool. It says, This was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing the things on the Sabbath. Pause. He was working on the Sabbath. Now, watch his response. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. And Jesus' statement there, it it, it transcends this Sabbath, if you will. What he tells us ultimately is that up until this point, there's not a day that my father hasn't been about doing his work. And now I am, I'm continuing that work as well. And that's what this morning is about, Missio Dei. I don't know if that's coming up on the screen, but uh, really what that means is it's the mission of God that uh, what we understand by looking at Scripture is that this terminology of being mission-minded or missional living, it isn't created by me and you, is that God has always been a God of mission. Matter of fact, that's what the Bible is. The Bible is God being on mission. It is God's mission from creation to into to, to culmination is what we're calling it. From creation, from even before creation to the end, is that God has been a God who is on mission. So the next six weeks, we will look at how God... Uh, how God's at work among this earth and among people groups. But this morning, the best way for me to kind of, I guess, bring us where we are. Anybody ever like pulled up? I don't have my phone with me because I put it down there because when I'm up here and I got my phone in my pocket, people start texting me and I get distracted. But anyway, uh, you ever like when you're going to travel somewhere and you get a uh, an address and uh, you type that address in and like the Google map or uh, Apple Maps, whatever, like it zooms all the way into that one spot, that one dot, and so you know that's where the place is, but then you go, all right, well, what road is it on, and you, you, zoom, out, you zoom out, and before long, all right, where's this, and you just keep going to get the, the bigger picture to where this actually thing is located. Well, for us, the book of Ruth, what it did for us is it, it dropped us all the way ground level to an ordinary family, Middle Eastern family, right? So for the past the whole summer, we've been looking at how God is at work uh, in this family. Uh, the Naomi, Ruth, Boaz, how he was obviously being a good God and taking care of the needs, but uh, we saw how he was preserving the line of a king, and through that king, David would come, or through that lineage, David would come, then Christ would come in that same lineage. And so we were dropped down to ground level and got to see it in an ordinary family, right? But then the book ends in the book of Ruth. What does it end with? A, a, a genealogy. It ends, it's a strange way to end a book, but it, the book of Ruth ends with a genealogy. And what we talked about last week is that for, for so long in this book, we were kind of just micro into the life of Ruth. And then what the generations do, it kind of, it, it does this. Like we do this to our phone screen and we're able to see God being faithful from generation to generation to generation, right? So that's what the genealogies do for us. Well, this morning what I want to do is zoom out even further, if you will, and go from the beginning to the end. Uh, to see God's greater redemptive story. Uh, so Ruth gave us a picture and being able to see this moment, this season, this, this time in this ordinary family's life. We saw God was faithful from gener- generation to generation. But this morning, what I want to do to get this series started is to go, all right, let's go all the way to really past 30,000 feet and go, all right, how has God always been about a mission? What is his mission? And what's the end of what's the culmination of that mission? So you follow me? That's what we're doing uh, this morning. So, uh, 
The story of the Bible is God on mission. When we talk about missional living, like I said, it isn't something that you and I have come up with. It isn't something that, that is just man-made. It's actually modeled uh, from the Father who sent the Son, right? So we see it there, but even before the incarnation of Christ, that's the most tangible way it's been seen. Uh, but we can literally read from Genesis to Revelation to seeing that God's been on mission. Uh, and so... So let's, this morning, what I want to do, like I said, I want to start at the beginning. How has God always been on mission? First of all, number one, he was on mission in creation. And in Genesis, uh, you don't have to flip here because I'm going to flip literally through the whole Bible at some point this morning. But in Genesis chapter one, we see that in creation that God was on mission. This is the mission of God that for some reason that God, uh, the triune God, saw fit and saw necessary to create man and in his likeness. It wasn't just because he was bored or lonely. He was eternally uh, sufficient within himself, the Godhead, right? They didn't get bored again, lonely. They didn't just need some kind of plan or something to do. They had a purpose. They had a purpose that they would create man in his own image. And from that one man would come the multitude of people that God's rule and God's reign and the knowledge of God would be across this earth, right? And so we see in Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was all over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering the face of the waters. That's how this scripture starts, that in the beginning, God created. Then if you jump to verse uh, 26, whenever we get to when God's about to make man, uh, we'll read just a few verses here. Uh, It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and check out this, and let them have dominion. So there, there he's given this man dominion, this under-shepherdness, if you will, that God's the creator, but under God there would be Adam who would have dominion over all the things on the earth. It said, I have dominion over the fish, uh, uh, sorry, where am I? Uh, dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over livestock, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in His own image, in the image of God He created him, male and female He created them. Verse twenty-eight, and God blessed them, and God said to them, "Be fruitful." Here we are. Here's the plan. Here's the purpose. Here's the mission. Here, right? You ready? Uh, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over all the living things that moves. And so, in the, even in the beginning, we see that God had a plan and a purpose in creating man in his own image. And it was that they would be image bearers among this earth. That they would subdue it, and that it, but that God would be their covenant Lord, their covenant God. And under him, they would, they would be, multiply the face of the earth and this earth would be for the praise of his glory. So we have the creation. We see God at work in creation. Isaiah 43, verse 7. We understand that God creates all things for his glory. What was the purpose of God's creation here? Ultimately for his own glory that among this man that he created in his own image, that his glory uh, wouldn't just be in this one specific location, but upon uh, the whole earth, his glory would be seen by this man that he created. And Isaiah 43, 7 says, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, who I'm formed and made. 
So we see the mission of God, the mission of day in the beginning when God created all things and created man for his own glory. But we know the story turns quickly, right? In the same garden, the same man that he created, we understand that the second thing that happens is the fall. That because, yes, we were created in the image of God, but, but man, people, they, Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. See, he gave Adam and Eve full dominion. We understand that. But you can't do this one thing. Do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you do it, you'll surely die. The day that you eat it, you will surely die. And the serpent comes in. This is uh, in Genesis 3. The serpent comes in and deceives Eve. They eat, and at that moment, they disobey God. And that's the story of human history, is that ultimately that people choose sin over God. But what we see even in the garden, yet God pursues them. Right? They were... They sinned, they disobeyed God. Scripture says that they, had be, they realized they were naked and they were ashamed, so they sowed their self-righteous fig leaves over their nakedness and they hid from God. And Scripture says in, in Genesis 3, uh, you can, in verse 8, that, that then they heard the Lord coming and they hid and, 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 and God walking through the garden says, where are you? And they said, well, We've sinned, we've messed up, we're naked, we're, we're hiding from you, if you will. And so you think, all right, they ate it, they should surely die, right? In a moment, they should surely, he said they would die. Yet we see God being merciful and even pursuing them because at the end of Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse, uh, look at verse 21, or actually verse 20, I don't think it's going to come up on the screen. Uh, but it says, the man called his wife's name Eve, and because she was the mother of all living, verse 21, and the Lord God made Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So why were they, why were they naked? Because they had disobeyed God. They had disobeyed the one thing that he had told them not to do, and because of their sin, they noticed their nakedness, and they tried to hide it. But God, being merciful, instead of wiping them out immediately, matter of fact, he went and killed something else so that their nakedness could be covered up. All right, there was, that's the first record of blood being shed, and it was an atonement. It was, it was a sacrifice so that their disobedience, their sin, could be covered, that their sin could be forgiven. And check out verse 22. And if you've heard me preach many, I've only got like two sermons. I just change up the points and things like that. So you've heard uh, this before. But in, in Genesis 3, it ends this way. And this is a, it seems like we just got out of Ruth. It's a, this, the, the, the drama of up and down in Ruth. And this is kind of how the garden scene ends, right? It says, then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us and knowing good and evil. Now let's he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So there was the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but there was also the tree of life. And the tree of life, if, if somebody were to eat that, it produces immortality. So if Adam and Eve were to eat from this tree, they'd be forever sealed in their sinful nature. All right, so that's the picture there. So God says, now lest they do that, what does he do? Verse 20, therefore the Lord sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground for which he was taking. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So that's creation and condemnation. That's the fall. Uh, but we still see God pursuing them. Even in his dismissal from the garden, we still see his mercy. Right? It looks like God's so bad, he's kicking them out of the garden. No, if they were to stay there, there was a good chance they were going to from this tree of life, and then they would be forever sealed in their, their lostness, right? Their brokenness. So God 
kicks them out of the garden. Right, like get that imagery in your head. Think about the flaming sword over the gate. I need you to get that picture this morning, that God is kicking them out of the garden. So we see Missio Dei in creation and the condemnation. And then the third, as we continue to walk through school, so right now we're still in the book of Genesis, right? And then almost halfway through the book of Genesis, God creates a covenant with a guy named Abraham. So we see uh, creation, we see condemnation, we see the covenant. Number three, the covenant. That in Genesis 12, that God calls out a guy named Abraham. In Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great, and check this out, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. So remember in the original creation, it was about that, 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 that Adam and Eve would, would multiply, and they would bear much fruit, if you will, that the, the image of God, the glory of God would be spread among this world. Now, fast forward, and the world is full of people, but it's corrupt, right? And so now he's calling out Abraham. And this is what he says, I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So the, we see in this covenant that a part of me calling you out, God, says that you will be a blessing. Verse 3 says, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And, and in you, it actually could be read, and by you, all the families of the earth shall be Blessed. So we see God still having this mission of his glory and his grace among the earth, among the people groups, among all places. It started with Adam. There was condemnation. So now he makes a covenant with Abraham or Abram at this time. And he says, and by you, the nations will be blessed. Why? Because I will be your God. You follow me so far? So we have the covenant that he makes with Abraham. We see in Genesis 15, which is a beautiful story that we see Christ in this, where where God is another of the covenants with God and Abraham. Uh, It's not a different covenant, but it's a fulfillment, a continuation in this covenant, and that that God ultimately says that I will be the one who fulfills this covenant on your behalf. And there's this mission living, if you will, this mission of God, and through Uh, So we see in the creation that through Adam all the nations will bless. But here God makes a covenant with Abraham and his descendants. And what we see is that so that a savior would be born. See, in the fall and the condemnation, God makes a declaration. He makes a prophecy, if you will, a promise that the serpent who deceived Eve, yes, he will strike the heel. But from the seed of woman, which is crazy because Women don't have seeds, it's, but even here in the, in the garden, he's saying that there will be one, there will be a special birth that happens, and there will be one who comes who will strike the head of the, there will be something, the, the enemy will be destroyed. We see it even in the garden and uh, the condemnation, but now he makes a covenant with Abraham, a people who he, God covenants himself to, so that through this people there would be one to be born of woman. Everybody follow me. Exodus 19. Paul, did I give you that? Okay. Exodus 19. This is just a specific place that we see this covenant still being carried out. Exodus 19. This is to the children of Israel, Mount Sinai. 
I wasn't in Bible drill. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't, so I'm slow in my Bible, and so don't judge me. <clears throat> Exodus 19, verses, uh, look at verse 5. This is God speaking to the children of Israel. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that I shall speak to you, the people of Israel. So we see God still about his glory being spread upon this earth. In creation, even in the condemnation, the fall there, he creates this covenant with Abraham, in which this is not like, I gave it another number, but it's really a part of the covenant. But uh, So we see him in creation. We see him in condemnation or in the fall. We see him in the covenant he makes with Abraham. Fourth, we see him in the kingdom that he creates in Israel, which is a part of the covenant he makes. But through this, there would be a people, right? He creates a people. So he makes a covenant. I want you to follow that. He makes a covenant and he makes a people. He makes a covenant with a guy named Abraham in turn to get a people that were going to be about his glory among the earth. Everybody follow me there? You should, for some people, gospel light bulbs are going off already. And so this is what is going on right here. So we see from creation up to covenant, and through the covenant he makes with Abraham, there would be a king to come, right? And this king, God gives his people a king who will provide peace, but more specifically, a throne for this savior to sit. We see it in 2 Samuel chapter 7. So Genesis, Exodus, if you keep walking through, uh, up, really up, in, and I know I'm about, to, I'm about to make a big generalization. Luke and I talked about that this morning. I'm about to make a, a big generalization. But we can look at covenant, if you will, really all the way up to 1 Samuel. We'll do it in that timeline of the Bible. If we're looking from, from Genesis to, to Revelation, because, but covenant and kingdom are intertwined. But we're, look, we're covering the whole Bible. So it goes, let's keep walking through the children of Israel, the covenant that they have with the Lord. And then in 1 Samuel is whenever we start hearing about a, a guy named a king that's going to be crowned, right? And so uh, when you get to 1 Samuel, uh, where am I at? My notes, 1 Samuel, or sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 7. I purposely didn't mark anything. Just kidding. I was just lazy, I guess. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8. <clears throat> uh, says, Now therefore, thus you shall be uh, to my servant David. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from the following the sheep, that you shall be my prince. So this is a, he talking, to, uh, talking to Nathan towards David here. So he says, tell David this. This is what I've done, right? And so he says, uh, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, following the sheep. Remember, David was the shepherd boy, right, with the rock and the stone and Goliath. So that's David we're talking about here. That you shall be the prince over my people of Israel. I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off all of your enemies from before you. I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, and that they may dwell in their own place and be, and be disturbed no more. So he's saying that what God is saying is through David that, that, that the children of Israel would be in their place. From that place that they would have peace, if you will, from their enemies who were constantly trying to come and overtake them. That's the, the promise we are seeing here. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. 
From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares, check this out, to you that the Lord will make you a house. And so not only is it David, but now it's going to continue past David. I will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your father. Check this out. I will raise up from your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men and my steadfast Love will not depart from him as it took uh, as I took it from Saul, and I will put away from him before you. Verse sixteen: In your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever. Uh, shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So even through this kingdom, we see this promise of a king that would come, the one who would crush the head of the serpent that we see in the garden. And so we see really the kingdom beginning to take place, and we follow the life of the kingdom of Israel through the book of the Old Testament, where God raises up king after king after king. So-and-so dies, and his son raises up. And what we see over and over again is that God being faithful to his people. And what he would do is every once in a while, he would send a, a prophet, like a guy named Isaiah or a guy named Jeremiah or even the last guy named Malachi, who, who would prophesy about this one to come. This guy who's going to sit on the throne of David, the one who's going to be born of woman, the one who would come and establish God's kingdom, the one that would come and be the Messiah, the one who would be the atonement for sins. And we see that through the life of the covenant he makes with Abraham and this kingdom he creates in Israel. Then we get to the end of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, and for 400 years, we don't hear God speak. Had he forsaken his purpose? Had he given up on his people? Had he said, you know what, I'm done with this? But then we get to the book of Matthew, and this is the genealogy of Jesus. The the silence of the 400 years was shattered by the voice of an angel talking to a girl named Mary and a man named, or a boy named Joseph, and then the cry of a newborn baby named Jesus. God and his mission is ultimately seen in the incarnation of Jesus. The redemption that was promised in the garden is now to be come to fruition in the life of the Son of God. Number five is Jesus' redemption. Jesus is, check this word, sent by the Father to die for our sin and conquer death. We see that in John chapter one. In the beginning was the word, and the word what became flesh. He dwelt among us. We see it in Luke 24. See, not only does does Jesus come and atone for our sins, but he also creates a new covenant in his blood. What was the mission of, and, and I'm not saying this covenant replay, but what did God do in the Old Testament? He created a covenant with Abraham and he made a people for his glory, right? 
So now Christ comes. He makes a new covenant. He atones for the sin of mankind. He conquers death. And we read about it in Matthew 26 when he talks about his blood that was shed. And number six, he creates the church. Covenant people. Covenant people. Covenant people. God's people are called to proclaim the gospel to all nations. We understand that that the Old Testament looked forward to the day that the one who was promised about in the garden that would crush the head of the serpent, right? We get to the New Testament, that becomes reality. He takes on flesh. He lives, listen to me, he lived a representative life for Adam. Because the bad news about creation's fall is that, yes, Adam sinned, but Ephesians 5, or Romans 5 teaches because of Adam sinned, we're all born sinful. Right? We, we all inherit that. Thanks, Dad. Right? So when Christ came, ooh, this is good. The, the commandment that God gave to Adam to be perfect in his obedience didn't go away when Adam was disobedient. The command was still there. So the Son of God came. And he lived a representative life, even for Adam. The life that Adam failed to live in the garden, Jesus Christ lived out on his behalf. He lived a representative life. But not only that, he lived a representative life for all mankind. For every single one of us in here this morning... The mission of God is that he was going to send his son to live a life on mine and your behalf. But not only to live a life that we couldn't live, but to die a death that we should die. So he comes and he makes a new covenant. And this covenant is not built upon Israel's ability to keep the law and remain faithful is built upon the faithfulness of the one who wrote it, that being Christ. He creates this new covenant, and then he creates a people. And listen to me, what's the purpose of that people? The same purpose in the beginning is to be his image bearers and to share his glory among this world. The mission hasn't changed. And that's why it's important for us to be gospel-driven people. Why? What brings God the most glory? The gospel of his son. And it's, it's wise to be gospel-driven in everything that we do because it's what glorifies God, it's what justifies the sinner, and it's what sanctifies the saint. Right? It's, it's, it's universal. It's it's all working. And so God sends his son. He creates the church. And in the church, we see that the church is then commissioned to share this good news to his glory that by the church, the nations will be blessed. Right? 
And then the, the final one, number seven, is restoration or, or culmination. That is, since the beginning, the world's been headed somewhere. There's a, there's, a, there's a direction that everything, creation was created for a purpose, and since then there's been headed to a place. There will be a time of culmination that the, the existence, the purpose of the existence will, it will culminate, it will, it will happen, and that's what we call at the end of time. Right? That's what we call when Christ is ruling and reigning. There will be a time, we read in Revelation 20 through 22, that all evil and wicked will be judged and be done away with. The evil that crept up in the garden, that one day it will be no more. It will be finished, it will be done, it will no longer exist. There will be a time that God dwells with his people forever and all things are made new. We read about that in Revelation 20 through 22. By the way, if you're keeping up with me, if you want to go through the Gospels, that was uh, point number five. You get to the book of Acts, that's the life of the church. It really goes all the way to Jude, and now we're at the end to the book of Revelation. Matter of fact, we'll just go to the last chapter of Revelation, and we'll read one verse, and then I've got some application for you. Here we are, Revelation 22, verse 14. Before it goes up on the screen, oh, I'm glad I called you, Paul. Remember that picture I wanted you to remember in the garden. Gate closed, flaming swords, blocking the way from the tree of life. Then you have the whole storybook of God's, his story, his mission. And now watch how this beautiful story ends. Verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes, so they may have the right to the tree of life and enter the city by the gates. I don't think y'all called it like I called it. This is how I know this, this, this Bible is a story of God's mission. It, it, it begins with a closed gate and ends with an open gate. It begins with a closed gate because the disobedient of Adam, disobedience of Adam and Eve blocking the way to the tree of life, which produces immortality. And it ends with an open gate where there is no flaming sword. It says, all who've been washed, now come eat of this tree of life. Come to it. So this morning, I hope that you can see as I uh, probably feebly tried is that this book, this, this mission that we talk about is not something that you and I come up with our own. IMB and International Mission Board, hey, they're awesome, but they're not the author of missions. Uh, things that go on in our county, that God is the author of his glory and his grace being spread upon this earth. And the vehicle which he has chosen to do it is through a new covenant that his son wrote in his blood and a people that he's called to himself that he sends out. So, what's the application to this? And the logo, Paul, you throw that logo up, you'll see the scent one. So you see these words, see and join. That's kind of our, that's our, our, um, our mentalities. I don't want to just tell you, be about missional living. We want you to see God's mission first. We want you to see the heart of God. We want you to see that God, this isn't something that cross points coming up. No, go back to what was the experiencing God guy. What, what was his name? 
Blackaby, right? See God at work, join God at work. Like, like we want to see God. We want to see God, what he's doing. We want to see his heart, right? So what's the application? First of all, I want you to see, uh, we want you to see God's story. Like, I think I've tried my best uh, in a 32 minutes I've been up here uh, for us to see God's story. That God is about his glory among the nations. That the nations being blessed by his people that he's called to himself. We hope you see God's method. You can look at it in the book of Ruth. He takes ordinary people and uses them for his purpose. Notice that when he told David back in 2 Samuel, he said to him, it's not because you are great. He says, I'm going to make you great like the other ones. It wasn't something, David was a weak little shepherd boy. Right? I'm not saying that we're going to defeat giants with a stone. What I'm saying is, is that what made David unique is the God that called him to serve him. Right? And it's just like God's method is to, if you read through the Gospels, that he takes the lowly, he takes the, the ones that don't have all the degrees to bring, make foolish the wise, right? It's, it's then the beauty of the God. Why? So that... None of us can receive glory, but God gets the glory out of it. That's his method, to use ordinary people for extraordinary things. Hope we see that, I hope you see God's call. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be spending time in Matthew chapter 9, 35 to 38. Just four verses there over the next four weeks. And now we hope that you see God's work, and we hope that you see his method. And I hope you, I hope you see that God's calling us to serve. God's calling us to be instruments of his glory being spread among this world. I hope you see that God has compassion for meeting needs. We're going to talk a lot about spiritual needs and physical needs, that God's compassion for meeting needs. And the second hope is that we would join, that we see God at work, see how he does things. We'll see that he has a call on our life. We see his his brokenness, his, the compassion that he has for needs. And that we will join, that we will, well, it's this word, that we will partner with God in his work. God's already at work. What did Jesus say? Up until now, my father's been working and I'm working. God's, oh, even on Sunday, listen to me, God even works on Sunday. He even works on the Sabbath. I guess that'd be Saturday. Even, anyway, that, that, that God even works on the, the Sabbath. That could have been a cool title to a sermon, wouldn't it have been? Like, anyway, I don't title sermons. Um, but I hope that we join God in his work. That we accept his call in our life, specifically, individually. And that we'll meet needs in his power. That's kind of the goal of this series, and that's kind of what our hope, our application is, that we see God, we join God. We see it, we join it. Hope that's all clear as mud for you this morning. Next week, we will jump into Matthew 9, and we'll, we'll so we're way up here, we will dive back down to ground level again next week. Cool, let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you from cover to cover, literally. This book is about your goodness, your grace, your desire to save 
and your desire to be known among the nations. It's your glory to be seen and experienced from every heart that beats. So God, I pray that through this series, God, your Holy Spirit will illuminate our eyes to see, but open our hearts to feel and empower our feet to follow. God, if there's anyone in here this morning who doesn't know you, maybe they came in this morning and they don't know why they're here. God, I pray that through this, this morning, God, that you, your Holy Spirit, will speak to that heart and they will see your love for them. God, that you had loved them before they breathed their first breath. And God, that you had already provided a, a representative life and a substitutionary death on their part. Your scripture teaches us just to call upon the name of the Lord. God, if there's anyone in here this morning who you're stirring to, to trust in you, God, I pray that your spirit will empower them to call out upon the name of Christ. God, I pray for our church. God, that we will see you, see your work, and God, that we'll join in that. So God, I pray for discernment. I pray for wisdom for me and Luke and Ryan and Daniel and Paul of how to lead your body and making sure that we're joining you at work, not creating our own work. God, I pray for every person who says Crosspoint is home. God, you'll give us a heart not just to be fed, or be entertained by you'll give us a heart to see where you're at and join where you're at to meet needs, physical and spiritual. God, that we'll see the purpose of the church is not just to meet together, which is my favorite day of the week. But God, it's so that we will be your image bearers. God, that we will spread your glory and your grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that through us the world will be blessed. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.